0: Hey everybody, welcome to The Stoop. So I grew up in a small American town, and much like any other town around the country, we were surrounded by friends and family. We had our schools and churches and local mom-and-pop shops. There was the local characters and criminals and busybodies, and we all kind of knew each other's business. And rather than gathering on the front porch, we gathered on our stoops. See, this little small town was hidden in a far-off corner of a giant city. And although it seems like an ancient age, my memories are quite clear. So sit back and let me tell you the tales of my days and my crazy times on those stoops of Atlantis. That glow, that yellow film of light on the blinds can only mean one thing, sun. Sundays during the summer of 70 usually meant a trip to the beach. And I guess only a five-year-old with very little in the way of common sense could get excited about going to the beach in Staten Island. Yeah, but that far-off land did have a redeeming value, Midland Beach. Midland Beach was a grassy field with old faded picnic tables and walking distance to a beach littered with planks of greasy wood, bottles, cans, slices of rubber tire, dead horseshoe crabs, and plastic tampon applicators that at my young clue age thought were some sort of spent firework. If you were lucky, there were some seashells and stones worthy of collecting. The water always appeared a nauseous cream and quite often a jellyfish would send swimmers screaming back to shore as if they'd been mistaken for a great white. Yeah, this was paradise on earth to these young brown eyes. Where's Daddy's car? I thought to myself as I scanned the block from my bedroom window. I could see John the mechanic already loading a core into a station wagon. Beach chairs were being carried down the steps of Scott's building by his father Bill. The trips to Midland Beach were always a multi-family event. Eight or so adults, a dozen kids, beach chairs, coolers, hibachis, bags of snacks and suntan lotion, changes of clothes. There were always memorable times filled with these simple joys of grass, sand, and toxic waters. But where was my father's black Buick? I could hear my parents' voices in the living room. Maybe he had parked on Pleasant Avenue, but why? There were always plenty of spots available on 118. Daddy, where's your car? I asked, rubbing the morning snot from my eyes. It's, "'It's near the lamppost,' he said, attaching the chain to Gypsy's collar to take her for a morning constitutional. "'I don't see it,' I reported with a hint of panic. "'I was not going to have my trip ruined. "'I had spent the night before calling the Weather Channel and praying for sun. "'I mean, the big man upstairs had held up his end of the bargain.' "'My father went into the bedroom to have a look for himself. "'I'll never forget the very subtle but distinctly worried look he wore when he returned. "'He smiled to me slightly. "'I think maybe John was working on it. I'll go talk to him.' "'That was my dad. Never wanted his children to worry unnecessarily.' Okay, that that made sense though. John owned a small garage a few buildings down, and he was always working on somebody's car. Quite often I would see him slide out from under my dad's car with a wrench, his face and arms coated in grease. I swear I'm not sure I ever saw the man clean. Even when we went to the beach, he seemed to have a permanent coating of oil, gasoline and grease on his skin. He reminded me of Humphrey Bogart, and he always had a friendly smile for me. His full mouth of yellow teeth from chain-smoking would beam out and I still left to explore his garage while he and my dad worked on a car. Me and my friend Anthony would take turns stepping on the big jack and ride it up to its maximum height, release the air valve, and idle down. And I could still hear that whoosh sound it made. I think the car was stolen, my father reported to my mother. What? Oh, great. I heard a reaction, and I cannot believe my ears. I'll call the police, my father said, obviously agitated. Call the police, I moaned. What? We had to pack up the car, get the chairs, the hibachis ready. We had to drive to Staten Island so I could play in the sand with my new shovel and sifter. There might be some gold coins with my name on them or discarded matchbox cars under the sand. My friends Ronnie, Scott, Anthony, and Jackie would need me to splash water and make sandcastles and help bury my father's legs with sand. The police? Really? That sucked. There was no excursion to Midland Beach that day, at least not for me and my brood. The black Buick would never be seen again. I would, however, see Midland Beach again. The memories of all the trips are kind of spotty, like a few remaining sand piles only partially washed clean by the tide. I have some home movies of on one of these outings, and I posted a clip on the Stoops of Atlanta's Facebook page. You can see John the Mechanic at frame 105. And in, there, in that footage is my dad, my mom cooking chicken, my little sister Laura, and my older sisters, Debbie and Donna, Donna hamming it up as always. And at the end, you can see my five-year-old butt crack. I remember finding this amazing shell one day. It had this beautiful blue and white pattern and it was bigger than my hand, spiral, tornado-like shape, and it just had one little hole to Mars perfection. I couldn't believe my eyes. I mean, most of the shells found on the middle of the beach that were not made of brass and smaller gunpowder were little scallop shells. This was like something I would seen in museums. It was the beachcomber find of the century, a piece worthy of a tchotchke display case with lights and a placard describing the genus, history, and other biological details. Oh, can I have that mic, please? Jackie pleaded with all her girlish charm. Jackie was a cute girl my age, and the baby sister of Denise, my sister Donna's good friend. No, I found it, I said, putting both my hands on my prize. Please, Mike, can I have it? is batted, but I was too young to be victimized by such blatant attempts at seduction. Anyway, I tried to walk away, but she followed me around all day pleading for me to part with the blue shell, but I was stronger than the average male at five, and I was saved by my friend Ronnie. Ronnie was actually kind of an on-and-off friend. His brother Joey was a bully, and on occasion Ron would assist his brother's annoying instigations. I mean, all in all, Ronnie was a good guy, and that day he had something exciting to say. He said we were all going to the haunted houses there were haunted houses well buildings actually near midland beach there were a complex i believe that had once been owned by the u.s army the main building long deserted was a three-story structure with tons of large windows so my father john the mechanic pat who was my friend anthony's father and bill who was scott's dad led us kids into the building we all expected large sheep-sized rats to jump out and the adults did their best to make noises to get the crap out of us. In fact, Jackie was so scared, she even forgot all about the blue shell. I heard glass shatter. It turned and John had flung an empty bottle to the far side of the room. There were bottles everywhere. You know, I guess local teens use this place to hang out and get toasted. I spotted a bottle and raised it, catching the gaze of my father. He smiled and nodded. I couldn't believe it. He had given me fully authorized fatherly approval for destruction. I reared my arm back and, with all my might, flung the empty beer bottle across the room. It bounced three times and shattered into a billion pieces. What a rush. There was an old song called I Love the Sound of Breaking Glass. Damn straight. There is an unexplainable, deeply satisfying feeling of destroying glass. There must be something—a major event in the lost history of mankind—to explain this. The ancient Indians were very clear in describing how vimanas were used for the gods to come down from their heavenly abodes to earth. Now, this my theory goes something like this: in ancient India, as described in the epic Mahabharata and Ramayana, humanity possessed great and lost knowledge. We had flying machines called Vimanas and even had access to nuclear weapons. And a great war ensued and wiped out this amazing civilization. It is scientific fact that when nuclear fission occurs on sand, the immense heat will transmute the sand to glass. This was shown to be true during the first modern-day nuclear test in Arizona. Layers of greenish glass have been found buried in India by archaeologists. Many writers have thought that this is serious evidence of an ancient nuclear war. And I proffer the theory that the pleasure we get of the sound of breaking glass is tied into humanity's deep hatred of nuclear war. Yes, it feels great to smash glass and rid our memories of the insanity of radioactive battles. What, you think it's a nutty idea? Hey, come up with your own friggin' theory. Anyway, the chaos ensued. If my father, certainly the least likely of all fathers present to allow their kids to launch a bottle, approved of such actions, that all other male parents present would have to surrender. Bottle after bottle was thrown, smashed and shattered with joyous abandon laughter echoed in the large hall. It was an orgy of complete destruction. Then I saw a sight I would treasure my entire life. My father had found a large rock on the far side of the room. It was actually a small boulder. My father's not a tall guy, but he's as strong as an ox. I watched as he held the stone in one hand like an Olympic shot putter. Then he sent it through the air and into the heart of one of the huge windows. (laughs) In slow motion, I watched shards of glass tumble and fall with great orchestration of antediluvian protest music against the ancient Indian Armageddon. Well, glass breaking. The sheet of glass was rendered a pile of hailstone-sized pieces in a desolate alley way down below. A great cheer rang out. I was proud of my dad and I smiled wide. I don't think we ever went back into the haunted houses of Middlewood Beach again. Some experiences are better singular. They can never be topped. When it was time to leave, there was that inevitable debate. Older parents wanted to take the quick route home over the Verrazano Bridge. That's lame. Us kids wanted to go by water, by ferry. The pleading high-pitched squeals of kids bombarded the exhausted and rolling eyes of adults. But sometimes, we would be victorious. My father said we could take the ferry, I announced to my peers. They cheered. Naturally, the other fathers would have to approve as well, as they bombarded my poor dad with dirty looks. It was off to the ferry, no bridge that night. But sitting out on the deck, the warm summer air blowing back our hair as the sight of Manhattan, like stacks of jeweled poker chips, approached, was such a perfect way to end a perfect day. A day spent on filthy beaches and abandoned buildings, But the grass was greenish, the sun was joyous, family and friends great, and the food as good as can be. I wonder what ever happened to that shell. So Monday would come and it would be another week or two before we were back at the beach. A week spent reminiscing on the stoops of Atlantis. This has been the Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Please make sure to go to rupertstarbright.com and drop me a line. Tell me what you think of the podcast and spread the word. Until next time.